Moongasms is a podcast of conversations about change, connection, and creativity. And today we're joined by Stephanie Teitelbaum. Stephanie Teitelbaum is a comic performer, singer, actress, improviser, and host of the radio show The Velcro Couch. She loves the interactions the creative industry fosters and finds that laughter is our greatest means for connection. Stephanie and I have shared many laughs over the 16 years we've known each other, and I'm so grateful to be back in her creative space, the rumpus room in her childhood home in Elwood. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. Welcome to my rumpus room. It's very 70s vibe in here. I'm pretty proud of this room. It's gorgeous. I always get a good reaction uh, for it, of it, in it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's beautiful. Whenever people walk in. It's definitely your creative space. Feels it. It is. I think... I, I like it as well because it's private. It's the rumpus room, so it's not connected to the house. So when I'm singing or doing all that creative stuff that is obviously vulnerable and only now have I allowed people to actually hear me do all that, prior to this, I think that this sort of separate sanctuary allowed me to really let loose. So that's why I love it because it's so closed off and private. Mm, feels very intimate. You grew up in a creative household with very creative parents. How has that influenced your choice of of occupation? Well, maybe subconsciously. It's sort of been drilled into me from a young age without me realising. I remember when I was two years old, my dad was filming an ad for, I think, a motorbike or Harley-Davidson or something like that down the street and they needed a two-year-old to just sit on top of, the motorbike, and I refused. I was too shy. I was too scared that I'd, I'd fuck it up. Fuck up what? Literally, I was too shy in fear of failing from a very young age. Um, so I think, you know, it's been around me for a long time, although I have uh, resisted, you know, in a lot of areas based on that fear of failure. But, yeah, I think, I think you know, my mum... My hosted a show on Channel 31 for years and always made short films. My dad's been in radio for 30 and always in advertising and I, I sort of haven't seen any other occupation in my in my household. Mum did social work for a bit, which is, you know, I went to a youth movement so maybe somehow that got uh, thrust upon me. But, yeah, I haven't really seen, seen anything else so it must be it. <laughs> All right, so you've spoken about growing up in a creative household and... And laughter is therapy for you. Yep. Um, I came to see your show Wet Cement a few years ago. Yes. Amazing. I think it was the first time I ever saw you sing or heard you sing. I think it was the first time for a lot of people. And I had no idea that you had this crazy talent and your ability to captivate an audience is ridiculous. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. So nice. But um, I think that the the thing that resonated with me the most was the theme of wet cement. Uh, so talk, talk to me a bit about that process of... Yeah, so the theme was about being half-assed uh, and finding the easy way out of things and not completing tasks entirely and finding reasons to not as well. You know, you apply for something and it happens to be in Sydney. So you're like, yay, <laughs> don't have to do it. Or, you know, it's over a weekend that you know you can't. And although you want to, taking that next leap is obviously more scary than, than you know, it logistically not working out. So uh, I think, yeah, it was about being half us, and that's what wet cement is. It's about uh, never fully having the concrete. 
never having anything in concrete. It's always wet cement. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's 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 what the name is. And yeah, it was all about me being half-assed. And I started writing a cabaret show. I didn't know where to go. It was everywhere. It was all all over the shop. I didn't know what my real theme was. I didn't have a structure. I just knew that the one thing that I knew about, and it was also self-analytical. So it was like I've never really looked so within to think, who am I? Like, like what do I represent as a cabaret show that I'm going to show to a whole audience? So the one thing I thought of was is that I, I try and get the easy way out or I do things half-assed and don't really finish them. So I started writing and then uh, I think I think my brother helped me along with the structure a little bit but it ended up being the five stages of grief and realising that you are half-assed and then going through the denial and the anger and the bargaining and then finally the acceptance of, yeah, I am half-assed and you know what, I'm proud of it, you know. But ironically it was probably the hardest I'd worked to date to put it all together because in the Fringe, Melbourne Fringe Festival, you do everything. You do marketing, producing, you do the writing, you do the performing. I I had to do everything. I had to find a pianist. I'd never worked with a musician before in that capacity because I'd never really sang in public. I I love the irony that you created a one-woman cabaret show about being half-assed and did not do anything half-assed in the production and preparation for it. it's seriously the hardest I've ever worked. I got sick afterwards. It was just like, you know, you crashed. And, yeah, I got a great response for it. And, And the thing that really made me feel proud of doing it was that like you know with with your book Moongasms you know you've had responses of people connecting to it and and the audience has said to me after my shows yes I do that or yes I'm totally half-assed or I've experienced that and I it made me made me feel good about or better about me having reacted in that situation to that specific thing and it was cool that I, I I'd never had that experience that I was the reason that people felt good about themselves or I think it's connected a, in that way. I think it's amazing because in order for us to to build connection, I think we have to go into our own vulnerability. And like you said, you know, you had to look inside yourself and say, like, who am I? And and what do I have to share with other people? And when you're really honest about who you are and vulnerable in that space, it enables other people to connect with that vulnerability within them. So I think it's like a really beautiful experience. And I find creativity really fosters fosters that. Yeah, and I've watched a million shows and I feel what you're saying, I feel when I watch other shows, but hearing it about myself, it there's always a there's always a slight thing of really did I really do are you sure? Yeah, it's that a bit I of, made you feel good. Like it's a bit of an imposter syndrome. Like, yeah. oh, I get it when other people do it for me, but me? But me, did I really make you are you sure? Watch the show again. Well, you know, <laughs> like it's it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Like my cousin said to me the other day, it's amazing that you're creating and you want to do a show and then you just do it. And I was like, yeah, all right, cool, thank you. But it just doesn't doesn't feel like that. Do you ever have a fear of failing now? Oh, yeah. Who knows how the show is going to go? You don't know. You test it on close close friends or family or, you know, creative mentors and and they like it and you think, okay. Well, there there is solace in knowing that, the people that you've showed it to prior to the show like it enough that someone in the audience is going to like it. Because one thing I've learned over this whole journey is not everyone's going to like your shit. Not everyone's, and, and that is so hard to come to terms with. Not everyone's going to sit there and like it and that's okay. Although it's so scary and, and gross to feel, no, I want everyone to love it. What are you talking about? I don't want it. I need it to be perfect. 
and that's where the perfectionist in me comes out as well. But what was the question? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm enamored by what you're talking about. I don't even remember what the question was. Oh, yeah, knowing it's going to be good. Yeah, that, and I guess you just got to go. There's, there's always going to be fear of failure because you want things to be amazing and, and you want it to be the best it can be. Do you think it's rooted in ego? You know, our, our our need to have others' external validation. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's I think it's mostly about ego. I mean, you don't want all your hard work to go to waste, so you don't want to feel drained for no reason. Like, like at the end of this show that I just did at Fringe Now, the illegitimate love children of Bob Down and Magda Zubansky. That you <laughs> thought it was Robert Downey, which is hilarious. <laughs> it's Robert Downey. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. or something? I don't know. Don't An American know. actor? Not Bob Down. Not a blonde <laughs> fake cabaret artist. Anyway. I fully said Robert, Robert Downey. Downey. Hilarious. So that show that I just did now, at the end of it, I worked so hard on it. And at the end it was like, you know, laying down flat and don't want to move for ages but... I've earned it. Mm. So you, yeah, so you, you don't want it to go to waste, but generally, yeah, I think it is probably rooted in ego. You don't want to, like, like when people, certain people in the audience, and this sounds ridiculous and, and arrogant almost, but I don't mean it in this way, but, you know, when people in the audience, um, or, you know, someone didn't see me at the end of the show and then didn't message, it was like, hang on, so did you hate it? Oh, my God, like you have to tell me it was, you, you enjoyed it. So yeah, that's totally ego, but you get over you gotta get over that. Yeah. I think I, I think I can relate to like how that feels. I know when I'm doing like a yoga class and I'm putting all this energy and all this effort in the end, I like lie back in Shavasana and I'm like, oh, that's so good. But it's totally an internal experience for me. I'm not looking for validation from anyone else. Whereas when you're performing, you're creating something from an inner place and you're giving it out to other people. And so how do you find a balance between you know the expectation you have in in seeking validation from other people for the for the progress and the effort and the work that you've put in, and how do you balance that out with with just having that be an internal journey? I, I yeah, I base it on if I if I had a really good time doing it and had a lot of fun, then whatever, yeah, sort of thing. And you see people's faces in the crowd. You know, and, and you you say a joke or you, you know, you sing a song and their face d- doesn't, you know, isn't smiling or they're not laughing and you think, hang on, hello, what are you doing? I'm putting in all this effort, give me something. But half the time as an audience member, you know, you, you know they're enjoying it. They don't have to be so vocal about it. But, but yeah, I guess if... If you've created a show that you're proud of and and you've you've enjoyed it and you're having a good time doing it, then you really and this is a real practice that you've got to just let it go and not worry about it. And I've been watching uh, Coffee in Cars with comedians Jerry Seinfeld, Robert Downey, Robert Downey, <laughs> comedians in cars drinking coffee, getting coffee, getting coffee. Yeah, close. So we're both wrong and both right. Um, yeah, so I've, I'm obsessed. I've, I've just become obsessed with it. I didn't watch it for a while because sometimes watching, being in the industry, sometimes watching that stuff makes me nervous or or anxious because it's like I don't want to, I, I want to switch off but I can't in that situation because I'm always trying to, I can't help but learn or try and get something out of that specific show. 
obviously, because it's my career. But Jerry was saying that he interviewed Kramer, um, Michael, whatever his name is. He interviewed Kramer and he was, Kramer was saying, you know what, Jerry, I always wish that when we were filming Seinfeld, I had a little bit more fun filming it. And Jerry's like, you know what, I don't buy that. We don't do it to have fun. We do it for the audience. We do it so they can enjoy it and they can have fun. It's not for us. And I was like, oh, that takes a weight off my shoulder that when I'm not having fun it's okay because it's for the audience. And, you know, my nerves and, you know, you're so nervous backstage, you're shitting yourself and that's not fun. That's not the fun part. You know, you got to get out and settle into it and then maybe have some fun. But if you don't have fun in a show or one of the runs, that's okay because it's not all for us. But then there's also the other side of the coin where, you know what, if you're not having fun, what's the point? And whenever I'm nervous for something and I express it, my dad's always like, just as long as you're having fun, everyone else will. And I think maybe, you know, I definitely relate to both, but I feel like, you know, the battle of that specific challenge of really wanting that validation, I think if you're having fun, then fuck it. Yeah, it's a, it's a good balance because you can, you can do it both ways because your incentive is that laughter has been therapeutic for you and such an enjoyment in life. And I think it's natural that you just want to share that joy and have people experience that. Yeah. And I think the characters that we built in the show was so much fun to play around with and, and so kooky and I love character work. It's, it's some of my favourite stuff. I just, Saturday Night Live, you know, they've got such a reel of characters that they just play and I think, you know, I'm only at the sort of the beginning of my journey but all these characters that I get to play is so much fun and these two, Ben and Calm Down, um, they really, I really enjoyed playing with them. So, so it was just... A, f- a fun experience and, and sort of manoeuvring your way through what you want to do. I think I'm sort of figuring out the characters as a big part of of what I want to do for sure. What is it about characters that is so exciting for you? Because you're not playing yourself, but there has to be some sort of self in that character that you identify with. For sure. I think I love characters because there's character, we know characters you know characters when it's so satisfying when you watch someone play a character and, and you see that in them. You know the old granny is going to, you know, fall, you know, fall over or, you know, be be inappropriate to her grandson or serve biscuits. It's the, it's the cliches in the characters that are really uh, satisfying to watch, I think. Mm. And I've been doing a lot of improv. I actually haven't in the last few months, but I've I've done two years of solid improv and you just play characters and you you give them life. And as an audience member, I think, because I've been an audience member a lot of times, I think that it's so lovely to watch, just watch the nuances in, in different people. I think it can also relate as an audience member to the familiarity of a character. You know someone like that in your life. You yeah. can relate to that and and then comedy just takes it that next level that you can find such a such a relief in. Well, that's in the that part that you your life comes into it as well. Like it's the cliches and the nuances and the characters that we know that we've seen in strangers on the street or in any situation, but then bringing in the element of that sort of character that you know in your life brings in yourself into that character which sort of makes it easier to play. If I'm playing an auntie, I'm going to grab stuff from my auntie and it's going to be nice for the audience because it's so random. So where did that, where did that characteristic come from? Well, it's someone I know but it's just it's it's nice to see the specifics 
and the randomness that is different in everyone's characters. Improv makes me nervous. Like the thought of of getting up on stage and improvising oh. gives me such adrenaline in my system. Do you feel that it's or are you totally It's the most nerve-wracking thing in the world. Oh, my God. Before every show you're literally, no, nah, I'm not going out. I'm not doing it. You're in a team and you're trying to rev each other up and it's like you're about to be introduced as a team and you've all got each other's backs and you're slapping each other on the back as you see in the improv, whatever you've seen in the improv, and then you run out and before you go out, so many times I said to my team, should we? I don't really want to. I don't want to do it. And then you go out and presence is probably the biggest thing in improv uh, that that helps with those nerves because you're making things up on the spot and you can't just make things up on the spot because a scene uh, randomly, you know, you get taught how to keep a scene going because you need, you can't just say, oh, how, how are you? Good, thanks. And you? Yeah, good. Should we go for coffee? <laughs> Boring. You can't watch that. You need to watch characters interact and the most important thing in improv is the relationship. So you want to see two characters' relationship on stage evolve. And, yeah, there are little fluffy bits everywhere, obviously, because that is the scene, but it always comes back to these people have known each other for a while and we're watching them interact. And I think, you know, you need to be present for that and that's where character work comes in. There's such a joy in watching other people connect. I think it's, like, yes. very inspirational and you f- you find that not only are they connecting on stage but you're also connecting to the characters that are on stage and it's inciting something within you. Well, you enjoy that in a scripted thing. You enjoy watching characters interact in a scripted thing and their relationship grow in a play or any type of show. So you want to see that in improv. That's what we want to see. Improv also gives you the extra level of the audience being anxious as well because you're like also like, what's going to come next? I can't predict this. Are you anxious as as an audience member? I might just be anxious as a person. <laughs> I'm starting to realise. I think, I think anxiety is a thing that's coming yeah, up in this. it's like, oh, in every situation. No, maybe yeah. not. Not every audience member maybe gets it's anxious. Me. No, it might just be me. But I think there is that element of in comedy, you don't know what's next. Comedy is all about surprise. You know, you take an audience member on a journey, but you also catch them off guard in, you know, a punchline or in, you know, the way that that rolls out and I think I think it's like a roller coaster. Those things are really fun. Oh, yeah, it's unbelievable to watch. It's unbelievable to be a part of as well because when you get that laugh for being, for something you've just come up with on the spot, it's like, whoa, that's awesome. And when it fails, it fails and it doesn't feel good but I think there's a little bit more leeway in improv. You know, sometimes, sometimes you get laughs just for the fact that it is improv, you know, so it's a completely different kind of comedy. And some people, you know, may think it's, I've heard some people say, you know, it can be a cop-out because people are laughing at the f- at the fact that you're making it up on the spot. And when you're stumbling for a word, like, oh, come over here, John. And people are laughing at the fact that you were staggering and that's improv and stuff. But I think, you know, really good improv is you're not laughing at the fact that it's improvised. It's seriously good things pulled out of the ether. Well, it's actually pulled out of your creativity and the fact that you can respond with wit and whim and just really engage with that part of yourself. I think it's an art form. I think that, you know, comedy can, you know, you can refine your skills, but I don't know if humour can be be learned really. I think it's something that you really have naturally. I mean, I've known you for 16 years and you have always had this 
beautiful way of looking at life as comedy, as 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 joy and finding joy in the moments even when it's shit. Even well, life is comedy. Um, that's seriously what it is. Why, how, it just doesn't make sense to, I can't see things that aren't funny. Everything's hilarious. But I think improv also, you're right, you can't learn it, but I also think improv has made a lot of people that I know funnier. And it changes the way you approach life as well. You, you go down paths that maybe you wouldn't because you want to explore it or, you know, you say yes to more things because, you know, the improv, what's the word? Uh, dogma is yes and. You know, the improv, you can't go on stage and block someone. You can't go on stage and say, hello, hello, Lizzie, you're a dog. No, I'm not. Okay, great. Well, where's the scene going? You can't block someone. Everything's yes and, yes, and this. And yes, you are an alien from outer space and I am this. So that's, that's people so, go out into life and start yes anding things. So interesting. How have you made the philosophy of improv uh, applicable to your life? I think just in com- basic conversations. I can, well, I've always been able to talk, I think, but I go, to, I go down roads that maybe I wouldn't have before because I, I, I'm happy to explore it. Or, you know, you say a sentence and I've got a million questions about that one sentence because I want to find out more and I want to evolve the scene, so to speak. So, yeah, I think definitely that. I don't know if I've noticed the yes and. I'm not just saying yes to things more than I would. Still half-assed? Still definitely half-assed. <laughs> Still trying to find the easy way out when I'm not <laughs> gruelling over a show. Uh, yeah, but oh, improv's amazing. I just love it. And it comes along with sketch as well, you know. You, I think, so, you know, if, if you're ever caught in writing and, and you're a writer and you're ever, ever writer's block or you're ever, you don't know what to write about or there's a character and you don't know who they are, improvise it. Improv is so important. I did a sketch course uh, where most of it was getting up and you had, you know, maybe one sort of uh, statement, you know, or one one sort of premise and you go out and you just improvise the rest. And we got such amazing scenes from that and that's where you can write. That's where you can evolve it and think, oh, I know who this character is because I've just improvised her through a space or, you know, connecting with someone else in the scene and now I know who she is more. Beautiful. It's mm. about being present, I guess. Yeah, but it helps writing. It's it's really it really helps writing. What do you find most challenging about your job? For me personally, the perfectionism, the need to to want the product to be amazing and perfect and straining because you, you never really you're never completely satisfied. You just have you're never ready. It's just your time, you know. I know that's cliche, but you just have to settle with whatever you've got once you've worked your butt off and that's it's hard because the, the the job never ends. You know, creativity doesn't stop. That's probably probably quite challenging. I'm never not thinking about an idea or I'm never, if I see something in the street and I think it's mildly funny, I have to write it down, which is annoying sometimes because I don't want to. Or if I think of something in bed, I don't want to grab my phone and write it down. Or, or not be able to see chill completely. I can chill. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay, Ooh. guys. I can chill. But it's, my mind is constantly thinking what's next or what am I doing or what's a good idea or, yeah. So what do you do as self-care to kind of switch off and check back in with yourself and 
or is it not happening for um, you? Not at the moment. We might be able to develop some strategies later <laughs> yeah. on. No, I think I think mindlessly watching TV is my checkout. I just like watching episode after episode of something and that'll check me out. Or, you know, going away or seeing, but even then you've got ideas, they're ideas. It's life, it's just in your face. But, you know, friends and family, they'll distract you enough for it is. And always after a show there's always a period where I'm like, no one talked to me, sorry, everyone talked to me, but no one talked to me about work, I'm done for a bit. I did a show, I did, we finished the show three weeks ago and the past three weeks, well, at least the first two, I was like, oh, just let me chill and I'm done. I'm, I've got my block out time. Beautiful. Where I don't want to be spoken to about anything. I think it's great. I think it's great to recognise when you've got an output of energy and you actually need to kind of fill yourself up again with your own with your own space and your own quiet. And yeah, which is also good for the soul, creative the creative soul, you know, you go away or you have a break from improv or you have a break from that and you just have a bunch of new stories or a bunch of new relationships or scenarios that come to you and then you're able to probably create a little bit better anyway. So definitely need breaks, for sure. What are your thoughts on self-doubt when creating? I think there comes a point where you just have to back yourself and have an idea because everyone's got ideas. You you have had this idea for a podcast that's not necessarily that you weren't doing before or you've never done before and it's everyone's got ideas. So there just comes a time where you've got to be like if someone doesn't like it or if, if, you know, it doesn't work here or there, at least I've created what, you know, something that I want to do or something that I want to. There's always self-doubt. You can't really, I don't know, you can't really run away from it unless you're super confident and don't care at all what anyone thinks, which is what I'm trying to adopt a bit more. Because I, I interviewed someone actually on a radio show the other week who's an older lady in her 50s and she's been doing it for 20, 30 years, performing in circus and, and all that stuff. And her show now is all about not caring, the middle-aged feminine perspective and not, not caring at all about what anyone thinks. And I asked her, how do you do it? That's amazing. I want some of that. And I think it just comes with age as well. And experiences, I think, that 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 force you to look into what you what your resources are and what you already have and what you can already be proud of. Because I know a lot of my self-doubt kicks in and my practice is to go back and say, actually, like what are the what are the things that I've achieved thus far internally and externally that actually, you know don't validate that negative belief, that actually counteract it. Yeah, um, totally. And I, you have those moments where it's like I just wrote and performed a whole show that went really well. I rock. Like I can do the next thing. Yeah. Yeah, I can. Why, why, why couldn't I? Why wouldn't I? But then you fall back into what have I done? I'm 28. Who am I? What am I doing? And then you, you just need an anchor to be like, no, nah, I rock. When... Have you had the most self-doubt that you've really needed to rely on on your inner resources to, or your creativity to pick you up and remind you of of who you are? Uh, well, firstly, I'd say wet cement was a lot of self-doubt because I'd never done anything before and I didn't know how I'd be perceived or how the show would be taken. 
And I, I'd also say within improv, when I was doing it for a little while, I hit a slump where I was just really in my head. And I think I was also going through a breakup at the time, so I wasn't feeling confident and I wasn't... I was second-guessing my personality and how funny I was or my ability to create. Um, so I, I really was totally in my head and I needed that reassurance to keep going. So you t you take a break and then you just jump back on board and you just feel you just start reminding yourself that you feel really good about yourself. And then you like those anchors that I mentioned and then you need and then I filmed a, a web series with my friend who wrote it and it felt safe because my friend wrote it as well. So it was like I know that I'm held in this space, which is also a very important thing being held in a space and knowing that you've got at least one person in there that loves you, as in not loves you, as in loves your work and appreciates your creativity. So you've got someone that backs you out there and then you can feel like you can sort of do anything. And then I filmed it and, and it just boosted me up again and I was like, no, I can do this and I'm hilarious. And then you, you think, no, I can, I can work with people. Then you build those connections like on a set. It's so amazing that you're with a bunch of complete strangers and you're best friends with them by the end of the shoot. It's like you, there's just a connection in there through the laughter but also just through through working with each other day and night for that period of time. It's nice to see the same faces and just feel that and make that connection. Everyone's doing their job and everyone's got their own role but you respect each other for that and it's so nice to have that little family. I think it's so beautiful because when we're in those stages of self-doubt, you know, we can rely on our inner resources and when those seem to fail at that point, we can, like you said, look to, you just need one person who believes in you, who says, I see you, I've seen you before, you still exist in this moment and you're still extremely creative and talented and it's okay to have that lull but when you're ready here's the space for you yeah. and to hold space. And then through that space, you're saying, you know, you can create connections and deep connections that by the end of it, strangers become best friends. And I think comedy is a huge connector for us to to relate to each other and to rely on each other. Huge. And you're already cracking jokes with them, you know, immediately and, and everyone's got their different senses of humour, but it fosters that connection. You know, once you have a laugh with someone, it doesn't matter. Nothing else really matters. Once you're having a laugh with someone, it just connects you. It doesn't matter what you think or believe or how you act because you're connecting on that. You're, the laughter is the agreement of that one thing, you know? Beautiful. So, yeah, I just, I just It also it. just keeps you super present. Like I know like, you know, you can be in your head all the time, but the minute you laugh about something, you're just in that moment laughing about that yeah. thing. You're thinking of nothing else. So if, 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 if nothing else, laughter really creates this presence in the now. Yeah, 100%. And, and it's not only in the industry. It's with friends, you know, at a festival. There's nothing like having, you know, dancing with someone and just laughing about nothingness. It just doesn't even make nothing makes sense. And if anyone was to listen to you out of context, it wouldn't make it, it wouldn't make any sense. About what the fuck are you talking about? But in that moment, you two are pissing yourself about something, and there's nothing like crying from laughter. Agreed. Nothing like it. I just love it. That's great. Yeah. So, Moongasms podcast 
about transformation, change and finding pleasure in that experience of change, even when it's challenging. When have you had the moongasm experience? <laughs> I like how you said that. It's very sensual. It is. That experience. Um, when have I had the moongasm experience? I definitely think after making the web series during that year, which was a tougher year, I think a lot of a lot of the joy in change comes for me retrospectively. It's like I've done that and now I can see that I've grown so much and I've learned so much. During it it's challenging and it's and it's great and but you don't I don't I don't feel the change as much as afterwards. So I'd probably say definitely after I made that web series and at the end of that year it was like Things were tough, and I still did. Th- I still went out and and created, or I still went out and did things that were nerve wracking or made me vulnerable. And and you can't you grow from that. You can't not grow from that. But I, I think it's it's harder for me to see. It's it's always harder for me to see it during, and I think that comes back to also working so hard and not knowing where it's going to go. You know, being unsure about how it's going to be received. You don't, that's all you're focusing on and there's so much you can focus on. So I'd probably say afterwards is when I really feel it. Yeah. I think the more we have those experiences that we can retrospectively see, wow, that was so challenging, but look at where I've, how far I've come and look at what I achieved in that time. And you actually have a retrospective view of that journey. The next time you're finding something challenging, it's like a little buzzer goes off in your head, like, this could be okay, you know, like this could be really nice. Like even though this is challenging, find joy in this process because you've been through a challenge before and come out on the other side having grown and transformed. Well, that challenge I think also extends your comfort zone. So it's like, oh, my God, I've done done that. So I can do it again. If you presented me with the same challenge, of course I could do it. Fuck yeah. But then it's the next challenge that – that makes you feel like it is more possible but I love the fact that once you've done something that's made you so nervous or so scared, once you've done that you can just, you can now your line is further and you can just do it again. Yeah, getting out of your comfort zones, an amazing feeling. Which has taken so long. It really has. It's taken so long to just feel like, you know, not so scared about, you know, doing things, not so scared to actually bite the bullet. So vulnerable, this whole industry. Um, Yeah, so also doing that made me feel like I've bit the bullet. Nice. Yeah. What are you finding most challenging right now in your life? Not only in comedy but just in general, what are you tackling? I think... Or welcoming. I think (laughs) probably what to next a little bit. And I know that is still in the realm of creativity but... But goals, I find it, you know, sometimes difficult to set those goals and to, because I I love so many things. I like to do a bunch of different things, as you know. So once you've done a show and you have that break and nothing's necessarily boiling, what, what to next? I don't know. Should I have a break? Should I not? What's next year? Who knows? Well, you've, you've, got some, you've got some exciting things coming up. Yes, I do, but you know, the, well, then then what? <laughs> I don't know, it sounds ridiculous. But, you know, you do, you have an experience, but then, and then what? But I guess that's why you just have to trust that things will just come and go and come and go. 
And enjoying, reminding <clears throat> yourself to enjoy the present moment and the experience that you're having. Well, that's been one of my biggest things recently is I was so nervous for this show for Fringe Festival, just uh, not sure where it was going to go or how it was going to be received, as I've said. But I really practised presence and it helped so much. It was like, oh, my God, next week's shows, I can't do them. I don't want to do them. I just want to chill and go out and not be worrying about work. And then I know today's today and, like, just be present. And I didn't think about the next show. And then when it came, you were allowed to. So I think that presence helped me so much. So, yeah, I agree. But, yeah, exciting news. We're going to be, me and my brother do do a radio show together and we'll be on Triple R for uh, every Friday night in November, 12 a.m. till 2 a.m. on the Velcro couch. That's our show. So we'll be doing a bunch of different different interviews, interesting people doing interesting things and I've, I've wanted to be in Triple R for a little while so it's a little little goal that I've just set. I mean, nailed. I mean, what's the word? Well, you said I'm it in. and then you nailed it. I mean, <laughs> achieved. I've achieved a goal. <laughs> so, yeah, that's coming up. That's really exciting. And, yeah, just a bit more production work is coming up as well. Um going to work on the new series of Utopia, the um, ABC production. So that's really exciting. That's something that I've also wanted to do in another role, a bit more responsibility. And, uh, and yeah, and then we'll probably do the show again at Comedy Festival, the legitimate love children of Robert Downey and... <laughs> Robert Downey. Bob <laughs> Downey and Agnes Jabansky. So, yeah, things are coming up. But there's always and then what? But that's maybe silly. I wouldn't, don't take that advice, anyone that's listening. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to creatives that are starting out or having creative blocks or want to get into comedy and are, have those fears of failure or not really sure how to start? Looking at, everyone's got notes in their phone, you know, that they write down and they try and do and then you look at them a year later and you think, oh, I haven't even touched on that. It's not a good feeling. Having, having looked back on an idea that you haven't touched on. So I think chipping away at things has been a lesson for me as well. Why don't I do that one little thing that I need to do, like, you know, write that, write that paragraph or, you know, sit down for 20 minutes and, and write that or just sign up to that course that you're going to do and just tick things off your notes. It's such a good feeling. So I'd say bit by bit so you don't have to look back at a note that you've made ages ago and feel crap about it. Chip away at things. And just do it. I know it's easier said than done, but don't. who cares what anyone thinks? It's so subjective comedy and creativity and everything. Everything in life um, in that industry is so subjective. So everyone's going to hate you and everyone's going to love you or someone's going to love you, someone's going to hate you or someone's not going to get you and then someone's going to totally relate and tell you and they're the little wins. It's like, yes, I got you. Are you sure I did? But, no. <laughs> but you know, I got you and that's why you... Get over it. Take the advice of the older lady. Have that attitude that you're going to tell yourself when you're 50 years old, who cares what anyone thinks of me because everyone's going to die anyway. We're all atoms. So, Mm. yeah, I don't know. As hard as it is, just don't worry about it and go go for it. Yeah. Do it. Someone once told me that you can look at a problem and think about how to leap or you can just take the next obvious step. Oh, I love that. And that was like a huge, 
huge one for me because then I realized like problems seem big or challenges seem big or exciting things seem so big that the leap is is the hardest thing to do. But if you can just take the next obvious step and then the next obvious step and the next obvious step to that, before you know it, you're standing on the other side thinking, oh, my God, there was that note from last year. Yeah. I did that. And yeah. you don't even realise when you're doing it because you're taking a little step. You're not like, here we go with the massive leap. Am I going to do it or am I going to not? Maybe I will, maybe I won't. If you take the next next step, oh, I love that one, mm. then you're just going to you're gonna get there without even realising, so which awesome. is cool. Yeah. Take the just next being step on the other step. side, like you said, how would I get here? You did it. Yeah. I didn't, didn't pole vault. <laughs> didn't need to pole vault. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. For sure. Steph, thanks so much. This has been so lovely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for making me laugh all the time. Thank you for making me laugh. How can people find you on social media or, you know, if people want to come and see the show? Well, that's the bit I hate about it. I hate social media. I hate the marketing. But... But it's important because it's, I think, the next obvious step for people to come and get in contact with you and get connected to your to your medicine. Yeah, your well, we're on Facebook and Instagram under the Velcro couch. So we put the show on, uh, put the cabaret show on under that as well as the radio show. So like us and go, go onto Velcro couch and hopefully we'll be still posting videos even though we're not currently doing the show. Check out Stephanie Teitelbaum. I have a little page on Facebook as well. Yeah, just yeah. I think that's I think that's about it. If awesome. you want to come visit me, my address is um, twenty four Woodhead Street. No, <laughs> don't want to give you my address. You just moved houses, you know. Don't run up. Yeah, exactly. I just moved houses. So much fun. So exciting. We're gonna live so close. We're gonna live so close. Thanks for having me. I hope I wasn't, um, you know, too cliche or. Don't give a shit about what other oh, people yeah, who think. Oh, yeah, cares what anyone thinks. Take your own advice, Steph. Jeez. Jeez. It's a practice. Thanks for doing this podcast. It's awesome. Thank you for coming.